Be the best rugby coach you can be. Welcome to Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast with head coach Dan Cottrell, where you learn hints and tips from the rugby coaching community. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast. I am joined today with John Widdison, who is a match official development officer for the RFU. Welcome to the podcast, John. It's great to be here, Dan. Thanks for the invite uh, and look forward to uh, having a good chat with you. Well, uh, I'm looking forward to delving into uh, the many years that you've been in coaching and a lot of other things. So John is an RFU Level 4 coach. He has also been a pathway coach and an A-grade coach with lots of different sides across the world, in fact. He is also a world rugby trainer, an RFU senior developer, mentor, and delivered a full range of CBT coaching and referee education courses and support services. He is also currently studying um, or is a PhD student at the University of Edinburgh, but we will delve into that a little bit later on. So I'm going to get straight into the questions, John. Um, Tell me a bit more about your role with the RFU. Why is it so important? And what have you learned about yourself or what have you learned yourself from this role? Dan, I've been fortunate enough to uh, become a full-time employee for the RFU in the, over the last six years. Um, my latest role, I've been in post for nearly four years now as a match official development officer. Uh, we increased our, uh, our size from four originally to six. So my role of response, my area of responsibility is area four, which is predominantly the Midlands. Um, I think any development role is a, in any sport, in any environment, is really important to help to uh, support people in getting the best out of themselves, um, introducing new technology, whether that's a training package, whether that's a new uh, methodology of delivering something, or simply uh, encouraging people to challenge themselves to get better at something. You know, that's, that's the beauty of the role that I've got, specifically focusing on refereeing. Uh, but that my time in post, one of the, you mentioned about what have I learnt, is I quickly learnt that uh, coaches and referees don't always sit in the same room as often as maybe we should be or could be. Um, so the last four years, it's been really pleasing for me to see a number of conferences across the Midlands where referees and coaches are delivering at the same venue. Now, thinking about referees and the the person who becomes a referee i suppose the first question is how much refereeing had you done before you became uh, the match official development officer if i'm honest dan i've refereed five games in the whole of my 36 years of being involved with the game um, i enjoyed the experience but i quickly learned from a personal perspective that um, coaching um, and being involved with teams on a regular basis and things like that was probably where my passion lied, and not in, within refereeing. Um, again, over the so what qualifies you? So what qualifies you to be a match official development officer? Uh, because I, I'm asking the question in the sense that we have, in the past number of years, often seen ex players going into the pro game, and other coaches who have not been ex-players or pro players then saying well just a moment why can't I do that role so it seems to me that you don't need to have been a referee to do this job uh, but what do you need to have in the toolbox to be effective at this role? I think the first thing is um, I, I, I describe myself as an advocate for the game I'm passionate about the game of rugby um, 
and that's refereeing, uh, coaching, club administration. It's you know it's real passion for rugby and what it provides communities. Um, as you mentioned in my biography, I've spent a, a lot of time helping to support and develop people. And again, a referee is another person, another part of the game that needs that help and support. So I'd like to think that uh, my contribution to that um, allows them to develop. Um, I'd like to think also that I've provided another perspective uh, on another area of the game. So um, I've played quite a significant role in helping to establish the Young Match Official programme that's uh, come into place, uh, targeting 14 to 24-year-olds that's, um, I believe, organically grown, gathered momentum, and introduced a lot of young people to refereeing now that it maybe hasn't done in the past. And uh, more recently, uh, helped to support the development of the um, um, pilot uh, level three refereeing qualification um, and had a significant role in developing the science modules for that uh, qualification. So, so what's, what do you mean by science modules? So the science modules we've put as um, strength and conditioning, um, nutrition and psychology uh, and the idea behind those is that these are if you like self-help modules where the person takes the information and knowledge and builds on it for them and designs their own programs nutrition diet uh, plans uh, and also uses the psychology element to help them support them in their uh, date their games and uh, that they officiate at Dan. Okay, so I've got people who will be listening into this thinking, I've just got to referee uh, my under-12s team on Sunday morning. Obviously, uh, they'll need to avoid a good night out um, with um, a lot of red wine. But it's a sort of silly question, but what would you, given that you've looked into this nutrition part of things, what would you say would be a good uh, pre-match meal for a referee? And is it any different, really, for a rugby player? If I'm honest, Dan, it's... it's no different from uh, a rugby player that you know it's a person who's going to be an athlete you know and and be running around expending lots of energy so you know super suitable carbs carb loading things like that hydration um even having some snacks on the day things like that are all equally as important whether you're playing um or refereeing you, you you're an athlete you're expending energy um so you need that um resourcing your battery to start with um, as you would do um, if you're going to run a marathon. Um, so it's it's that simple. Pro- I say it's a simple process, but obviously, as human beings, we're all different. We all need different things. So it's trying to explore and identify what you need in comparison to someone else. I think it's very important that um, referees, and I, I've done some refereeing, and I um, got to what's called level two in in Wales, which is if I was level two in. In England, people say, oh, what a fantastic referee you must be. But level two in Wales is not quite like that. Uh, but it was Sunny University second 15 games. Um, when, um, when you're preparing yourself for a game, I think it's important that you realise that by the 75% through the game, you're going to be quite tired. And that's going to affect your decision-making process. So that's obviously something that needs to be brought across to referees. What sort of fitness are you encouraging them to do? It's not obviously pumping too much iron, is it? No, I'm, I'm, I mean, the, um, the cardiovascular um, system is the key bit for uh, match officials. Um, also understanding the, um, the short bursts that you're going to cover. 
you may not be doing a long a marathon type run in terms of lots of uh, continuous pace but there's going to be lots of short sprints two and a half meters five meters um, depending on the level that you're refereeing you may even get a 40 or 50 meter break within a game um, if you're playing at a really high level with good skill standard you may get two or three of those a game so it's factoring all those elements um, down so you know me at 57 if you asked me to do a Colts game I'd be pretty reluctant to do that because I probably <laughs> wouldn't be keeping up with them um, on their 40 or 50 metre break so um, I'd, have, I'd have to ask myself you know I'm the best person to do this knowledge wise I may be but I probably would do them a disservice because I couldn't keep up with the pace of the game. Now, obviously, you're encouraging players to come in to referee more. So there's two questions I'm going to ask around that. One is, how do we encourage more people to referee? And the second thing is, uh, at the other end of the scale, how do we stop referees dropping out? For me, one of the big things, we've got this thing uh, in rugby, and we've had it for a long time, the core values. Um you know, we should be comfortable that our core values are in place and we respect the fact that somebody's coming to uh, officiate a game. Once they're coming to officiate, they're actually part of the team. You know, that whilst they're officiating two sides, they're going to work with the captains. So that's that team ethic in place. Um, and they're turning up because they want to have fun as well. You know, um, so there's something, there's something there about coach education that coaches should. Um spend more time interacting with the referees on a on a level which they would, might do with their own players or even the opposition coach? Totally, Dan. I mean, um, you know, we've, we've come a long way since I started coaching in terms of sharing information, sharing understanding and knowledge. Um, and if we are sharing that with players, coaches, referees, um, I think we increase the chances of the game developing very quickly because we're all on the same page. We're all understanding what everybody's trying to achieve and we actually try to help each other enjoy the 80 minutes of a game. So let's, uh, let's turn it around to the coaches because quite a lot of coaches will be listening into this. How can they make that experience for the referee more enjoyable while still making sure they're held to account? One of the things that, that I, I learned early on in coaching was that um, law amendments take place. And I quickly learned that to get online and have a look at the World Rugby website around March, April, and then the following month pre-season was the best time to start seeing what law amendments were coming out. Once mm. they arrived, what I'd then do is have conversations with referees that I knew around what are the implications of these law amendments to uh, their officiating, but also to my coaching practice. So am I going to be teaching players a safe technique uh, and a good technique that applies, uh, that remains within the confines of the law, uh, but allows my players to have a good understanding and increase their decision-making and skill level? So um, that, that obviously engages you from a coach with the referee. So I'm now thinking that uh, most of us as coaches will meet the referee for a very short space of time before the game starts. And then obviously we interact from the sideline. Now, putting the sideline interaction, interactions to one side, that, uh, that initial 
interaction with the referee, you're obviously, from your point of view, helping the referee to manage that because they need to get the most out of that as possible. So putting, keeping your referee's hat or boots on, um, what, what would you say to a coach which would help a referee be not more um, lenient but more, more helpful to them? How, how can we improve that interaction, that level of communication? If, if there's anything you're unsure about in terms of, uh, if, if, well, from a personal, personal perspective, Dan, if there's anything I've been unsure about uh, after welcoming the referee to the club, hoping he has a great experience, is to then start to have an open conversation with, this is what we've been doing. Uh, is there anything in there that you would see as being a problem for this afternoon in the way you're going to officiate the game? Um, right. understanding the referee principles around safety, enjoyment, learning and law is always helpful uh, for coaching as well as understanding what the referee is doing on a Saturday afternoon because those principles right. will be in place across the game. So really, you, you almost have a, shall I have a checklist uh, in front of you as a coach. So you welcome the referee. Uh, you may say, um, have any queries about things you've been coaching? Yep with them um but also say in a way because i mean there's a, there's obviously a way of saying it which might try and influence them because you might say well i know that the opposition like to seal off and uh, we don't like that so uh, you might try and uh, come up with some scheme to fool the referee so let's say you are trying to be quite genuine with that but actually just remind me of those four things that you want to be um, so you want safety. Uh, what were the other three? The referee will want safety. They want to yeah. have an enjoyable afternoon. Um, he'll communicate to provide alert, provide the learning. And then obviously if the learning isn't taking place, then they'll apply laws. Um, yeah. You know, and it, it may sound a bit cliched or a, a bit naive or coaches may not believe me. Um, but I, if I'm honest, Dan, I've always concentrated on myself Um and what I'm, what my team are doing, rather than actually trying to suggest to the referee that another team are doing something that we're not going to do. And I think as long as you come across as authentic in what you're saying, the referee is there to help you uh, to take it through. Now, just going back to uh, what you've learned about yourself. So I know that you're very uh, self-reflective um, about your practice, and uh, you're, you're your own harshest critic. Um, so. Now you've done, say, this the four years of it, what's changed for you, if anything? Well, what's been changed or confirmed for you? I think the biggest change and the confirmation is that um, coaches and referees need to spend more time together in just having uh, coffee, good conversations about games, and not necessarily the game that that referee or that coach has uh, been part of. You know, just watching a game... Uh, and discussing about what they're seeing. So what's the coach seeing? What's the referee seeing? What does that mean? Uh, what are the implications on a, a Saturday afternoon down at your local rugby club? Um, how are we helping each other? Things like that. And just having uh, a more coordinated or cohesive uh, approach towards the game rather than maybe sitting in two silos of I'm a coach, you're a referee. Mm. I, was, I was wondering, uh, the question I was going to ask a bit earlier is uh, people often think the referees are a different breed. Uh, it takes a certain mindset to be a referee, which means you probably never would become the coach that the coach thinks they should be. 
is that is that true? Is that a generalization? Um, and really, I suppose I might answer my question. The fact that we might be breaking down barriers may remove that idea of a different breed. Um, if I'm honest, Dan, for me, uh, the world's full of division. And um, where we are currently in the world, the, you know, there's a lot of issue around division. So um, in my mind, uh, more so more, uh, now than it ever has been, is that if we can actually get rid of the division that doesn't need to be there and actually start getting on and learning from each other, we'll, we potentially could produce a really great game that everybody loves being involved with and everybody gets a lot of benefit from and ideally has a massive impact on communities around rugby clubs and um, you know the nation as a whole. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that's um, something that we can all probably take away and work a lot harder at because it is very. We often look at the big divisions, and actually, we can, which we don't really have a much influence. And actually, we can work on the much smaller ones. And those referee and coach interactions are part of that. So I'm going to move to a slightly different uh, question um, now. Phil Llewellyn, who does the um, Roundup Rodeo uh, came on to a podcast with me. So I was asking him the questions. And one of the questions says, I asked him is, who do you think is the scariest person to be observed by? And he said, without hesitation, you. Now, um, we know, both know, uh, that's Phil and myself, know that it was a compliment. Um, now, I like that. I like to know that someone is standing over me and is going to be someone I'm going to want to hear what they're going to say. Now, what I want to know is what makes your questions and your observations that much more intense for Phil and probably for me, if you were to observe me. I think uh, reflecting on it now, Dan, that's probably a historical thing from um, my own background, uh, from mm -hmm. um, being in the Navy uh, being a physical education officer in the prison service and um, those two environments really forcing me to have a real good understanding and attention to detail uh, and the most minutest of detail, um, but also having a set of fundamental principles to start with that you work from to get to the detail. Um, so uh, whilst we've got the principles of the game, um, there are lots of ways to go forward and just looking at things and having real clarity around what you're seeing. Um, so, so can I so just, uh, so, uh, the things you've talked about there, I understand, um, about the fundamentals, the principles and the details, uh, and how important that is and clarity. So can you give me an example of how that might look if you're observing somebody? And this is not obviously the story of you observed Phil and he did this and that's where you jumped in. But a, an example of a situation where you can apply what you've just said. So my, my go-to is always to ask what that person's seen um, rather than I've seen this, I'm assuming the other person's seen it. So it's about exploring uh, what that person's seen um, what did they understand that they've seen, but also um, the emotional attachment to it. What did you feel? How? So it's not just an observation, but we can observe things at times, have a gut feeling about, oh, I should change this, but I didn't. So that sometimes that gut feeling is the real key to that session or 
that particular moment in time. So, so you ask the person what they see. Yep. And then you've it's uh, that's quite scary because uh, in itself because you've got to then immediately react to that. So you might say, well, actually, what they haven't done is this, this, and this. But they may say uh, something completely different. Yep. So uh, how do you deal with that? For me, that's fine because that's what they've seen, and it's now about unpicking what they've seen, uh, what they understand by it, uh, what they may do with it in the future, uh, what's the impact uh, uh, on. The immediate moment in time and on a decision they made um, will they change their training session will it impact on the long-term plan for the season so it, it if, if that makes sense then it all spirals and continues to to drive lots of things so would you ever step in and say to a coach actually you've told me this story but there's another story i need to tell you about what you've seen because that's also very important there's a couple of times where um, I get, the one thing I've always said is I, if it's unsafe, I will step in straight away. You know, I'm not going to ask any questions. I'm not going to do anything else. I'm just going to ask you to stop it. And actually, we're going to have a real conversation around, is this safe? Um, yeah. Because that, for me, is the most paramount thing, the safety of, of people. Um, the next bit would be, um, hopefully, they would ask me to share what I've seen if we've got to that level of rapport and relationship. And then alternatively, I may ask them if they're interested in what I'd seen. If they say, well, I'm not really interested, that's fine. And I think think that's important to uh, put those two sort of questions in. So you're starting um, with what have you seen? And then you're asking and then you're inviting them to ask you what you've seen and then what you're interested in. And then that means that they've they've given you permission to add in what what you've said. So now let's say you've gone through that process. How do you wrap it up with them? How do you make sure that they are understand how to go forward from that? For me, it's always that simple process of um, you know it's been a great conversation. What are the key? What are the couple of key action points for you from this conversation that we've had? You know, and, and so let's say they, they, they come up with an action point which is actually not what you've been discussing because this does happen because they've yeah. uh, message uh, heard is not necessarily message received. So again, it, it could be that, um, and this is where the, the listening skill comes in, that you then offer the, uh, the summary of, so that's a great action point. Let's just summarise again what the conversation was and what you said. And do you think that action <laughs> point is still relevant? So and then hopefully they would they would they would just maybe um, adjust and finesse what they've said to come closer to what where they should be going. Yeah, because their initial answer, Dan, may be that that's based on what they've understood from the conversation, and and they missed something in the summary. So revisiting and giving them another summary gives that opportunity to again reflect a few mo- a little bit on what's taking place and. They can go, yeah. Would they, they may decide to stay with it, or they may go. Actually, yeah, we'll change it, or they may say, I'm going to stick with that, but I may do that in the future. So it's again, it's it's trying to get them to come up with their action points. It's their journey, and hopefully, you've provided the opportunity to uh, not tell them what they should do, but offer a a, th- a third party perspective. Mm. 
and and, and that sort of uh, almost non-judgmental. Here's a, here's an idea. Take it if you think it's important to you, or leave it if you don't think you're going to be able to use it. Now, I, I want to try and think a little bit beyond this. So, obviously, with novice coaches, there is you can probably come in at all different angles. Uh, you're often with say, a little bit more experienced coaches or coaches who've been around and coaching for a while. What do you think is the most common bad habit that more experienced coaches fall into where they've they've been going for a while and they keep doing the same thing over and over again? I think, and I've reflected on this myself, uh, and you'll probably relate to it, Dan, in terms of you, through life you'll do lots of journeys. and You'll probably do the same journey quite a number of times. And at some point, you forget uh, to actually look out of the window because you assume everything's the same. Yeah. So um, probably one of the biggest traps, and we're all guilty of it, including myself, is that we're going on the same journey, but we actually forget to look out of the window and take notice. Right. So um, perhaps it's it, we get we become grooved and don't actually go right. You know, what have I noticed today that I didn't notice yesterday? What's the difference in this hour than it was the hour before? Um, so I've, I'm, I'm starting to say, remind myself what it was like as a novice coach and the amount mm. of attention to everything that was happening um, that I did then. Um, I'm not saying that I don't, I've never done it, but it may be that actually I just need to remind myself what it was like to be a coach in the first place. And that's the bit that makes the difference. Let's go back to thinking about that coach in the first place. And you talked about detail. What sort of details are you looking at now, which you are making sure that you get right? For, I mean, for, for me, it's, I, I like games and I like people playing games. Um, and it's a case of whilst I may see something, that person may not. But then they may not have seen it because the body shape's not quite right. So they were never going to be able to do that anyway. Or um, the way they position themselves, that pass is never going to happen because it's an impossible pass because, again, of the body shape or they've not read the situation or fully understood it. So, again, it's um, also being aware not just, of what's on, not just of what's on the ball but what's off the ball as well. Yeah. Because all too often, um, certainly as a young coach, my obsession probably like most, was what's happening in and around the ball. But as time has gone on, I've managed to piece together the balls there, but what's happening off the ball? Where's the opportunities? Can people see that? Are they aware of it? Um, so it's that sort of thing, Dan, if that helps. Well, I think that helps to just to get a bit of a perspective on, uh, again, talking generally about the people who are listening in, they're probably coaching a lot. Uh, themselves they have gone past the novice stage and they've forgotten some of those wonderful moments when it all seemed uh, a complete fog <laughs> and uh, that, clar- that clarity is coming through and uh, there's not you shouldn't be afraid to be detailed in fact I think one of the things which often comes across when you ask coaches what did you what did you find most impressive about that person is they say it's the attention to detail and when I say attention uh, there's a lot in that word so I suppose I'm going to ask the question that you would ask me. Uh, what would you understand by the word attention to detail? What would that look like for a good coach? I think for me, when, when you, 
it's always been around uh, my self-awareness, uh, my awareness of my impact on the group, the group's impact on me, um, what's happening around us at the time, um, you know, not just um, in terms of what's happening in a game, in terms of trying to score a try and things like that, but then any little interactions, any bits where there's a, uh, maybe a little bit of friction or something between players, um, all that sort of thing, because that can have an impact on, on the environment. So I guess it's really knowing what's happening in your environment at any time, which which I think goes back to 20-odd, uh, 30-odd years of being in the prison service and being very attuned to what's happening when people get together collectively. I mean, one can only speculate and wonder at that sort of environment as a learning as a learning tool in itself. Now, something you said right at the start of that that answer was self awareness, and again, a lot of people will talk about self awareness. What does self awareness mean to you? For me, it's about being honest about me. Um, my partner will tell you I'm, I'm terrible in a big room. I don't, I'm not very good um, at networking, things like that. Um, however, once you get me on a, a rugby pitch and I'm out there with the players and it's cold and it's wet, then I've got no problem interacting with people. And it's not because I'm a coach or I've got a level of responsibility. It's just that that's the environment I feel most comfortable in. You know that's. And does it, but does, does that mean, therefore, that uh, you've got to be on the pitch more than you've got to be in the big room? Um, I probably need to be in the little bit more in the big room, Dan, and be a bit more confident in um, myself and have a little bit of self belief that I do know some things. Um, the imposter syndrome is uh, something which one of my children told me about. And I thought, God, I do feel that myself sometimes. Uh, well, quite, quite a lot more than I probably uh, care to admit to. Yeah, and that's and that for me is that, um, you know, that self-awareness and that about being honest about yourself. Um, and that's probably why I struggle a little bit in that big room. Whereas outside in the cold and wet, I wouldn't say I know it all, but I'm far more comfortable in that environment about making mistakes um, along with everyone else and just generally interacting and having a good time with a group of people that love the same thing as I do, which is the sport. So perhaps self-awareness is um, having that confidence to make a slight fool of yourself and then be able to recover because you, you think, well, I'm, I'm going to make a mistake, but it's all right because I know what to do next. Yeah, and I'm probably far more comfortable making a mistake on a rugby pitch than, <laughs> than, than dropping a glass of wine or something like that in a big room yeah. where everybody looks at you. And, oh. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think we'd all like to avoid that if possible. <laughs> or maybe just kick it up and capture the wine back in the glass. That wouldn't be possible. <laughs> right, so, we're, so we're talking a bit about... Um, uh, coaches and uh, I wanted to steer towards novice coaches. So the challenge for coach education is always to fit in so much in such a short space of time. Um, if you were to deliver a day course for new coaches, and I know that you wear an RFU hat, and they have to they have to tick a lot of boxes, and they do extremely well given their constraints. So I'm passing it really back to you. What would the day look like for you if you had to deliver a day without any 
boxes to tick for any NGB? For me, Dan, um, it's about finding out what somebody already knows um, and what they're already uh, doing, uh, what it looks like, get, why are they here, what's the purpose, um, and exploring that with them uh, through the day, through um, quite conversations, um, practical um, exercises, things like that, and just getting them to be really comfortable at having a go at being in front of people. Um, and, and, and to do your point being, and also not being afraid that it's not always going to go right as well. Right. So uh, let, let's say that that's the aim of the day or an objective of the day. So give me some examples of so, what what you do with them to achieve that. So again, uh, if you could imagine that uh, you've come into this, you, you're coming on a coaching course, uh, but you've only got, you see in the corner, 30 broom handles. So everybody grab a broom handle. What I want you to think about is that's the only piece of equipment you've got now. And I want you to think about doing a 10-minute session with the rest of the group to make it safe, active, have a purpose and enjoyable. What can you what can you create out of that? Now I I think that's quite scary. It could be. So what happens if I've if I've uh, as you say I'm a new coach yep. and uh, I've come along and I haven't got much experience of coaching and you're putting me in quite a scary situation. So how how are you going to make that so this is, work for me? So this is where you come in and go, right, I'll give you a demonstration of a few little things that you might want to do, which could be right, simply, yeah. right, you hold that pole, I'll hold this, and let's run across the room and see if we can catch it before it drops. Right. Or let's put two people on two poles and just move them backwards and forwards as people step in and out the poles and things like that. All the things that you used to do as a child with different things that you'd pick up and you make up a game and you think about how you can use it. So in a sense, you're uh, you're setting a challenge, which the coach then thinks, I don't know how to do this. And then they all, they're turning to you, wanting that information. Yep. And you're giving them a little insight in terms of there's nothing... Com- <laughs> there is complication, Dan, but it's a case mm-hmm. of... Anything that you've thought of, you know, it could be sword fencing. You hit high, I hit low. You could be doing whatever you can think of, how you can use this piece of equipment, let your imagination run free. Right. And so by the the end of the day, um, you're trying to create better coaches. What sort of things will they be coming away with? Is it more, it sounds like it's going to be less technical. Yep. Um, so in your mind, uh, what would be the sort of thing the coach would be saying to you? Would you think, yes, they've cracked it? I, I've had a great time. Um, I'm talking to people a lot more. I'm communicating with them. Uh, I'm not frightened to look at things and create things and have a go at things. Um, I know that I, I always need to make sure it's safe. Um, because, uh, and it's just tapping into those, um, what I call human connection skills, mm. you know, you can, you can, there's lots of different, th- we all go until little team building exercise and things, and they're all about how do we connect with each other? How do we trust each other? How do you trust yourself? And perhaps the, the big thing is you, you suddenly realize actually 
I do know a little bit more than I first thought. I'm, I may not be technical and tactical, but I could actually deliver a session, make it fun, make it enjoyable, just with any equipment that you want to give me. Hmm. Okay, and it's just building up uh, a little bit more confidence to do that. And also going back to something you say is giving yourself a bit more confidence in yourself yep. that if something goes slightly wrong, you can recover. Yep. Um, now, just moving away from that, because, I mean, it is a bit of a minefield coach education courses because, as we say, there is so little time, so little resource to do it. Uh, that's um, something we, we could explore uh, at another time. But I'm also interested just to delve into, uh, now you've said what your age is, why on earth are you doing um, a PhD now? And uh, once you've uh, told us why you are an old fool, maybe <laughs> not necessarily a wise fool, uh, can you tell us a little bit more about what you're researching? Um, I think the, the reason I'm doing the PhD, Dan, goes back probably to, well, definitely to the first group of people I ever coached, which were the Colts at Burton Rugby Club. And one of the things that we'd come up with was that we always wanted to be the best we can be. So, um, you know, as a young coach, I'd said, you know, you, whatever we do, we've got to always try to be the best we can be. Um, and I've sort of stayed true to that statement. So I've always tried to develop as a person, develop as a coach and be the best I can be. Um, and that journey has taken me to uh, the point that actually now I'm doing a PhD. Um, whether it makes me the best I can be I don't know but it's certainly um, the furthest I can go regarding education so uh, following that pathway and doing my best that is where it all ends hopefully in three and a half years time once it's completed well and anyone who's listening in uh, should be saying well what what can I do which I've sort of promised myself uh, that I should do so just in terms of, before we just go into terms a bit more about the actual research you're doing, um, how does one get to start doing a PhD? What hoops do you have to jump through? If I'm honest, Dan, it's rugby that's facilitated this. I've been really fortunate that, um, I mean, I started coaching when it was, uh, and you, you and I will probably give our age away now, when it was the, <laughs> when it was the Intermediate Award. Yeah, yeah, uh, I, that's uh, 1994, I think I did it, 94, 95. And then you went on to do your prelim. So I did the Intermediate Award way back in, um, I think it was about 1987, 88. Then I did the uh, the Intermediate, sorry. Then I did the prelim. Uh, then I did my level three. Um, and then I applied uh, on a number of occasions to do level four and uh, eventually got the opportunity to do the Level 4 course. Having completed that um, successfully, I was then keen to progress further and did the postgrad diploma, uh, the Masters in Coaching Science. And having completed the Masters, I sort of had this crazy idea that I wanted to explore what I'm looking at now even further and put a proposal forward to uh, the University of Edinburgh to Dr. Christine Nash and Professor Spruill, who, to my surprise, came back to me and said, that's really interesting. I think you've got a PhD there. Right. So, you, I mean, just to, just to put it in context, you just don't say, uh, oh, I enjoy my ro rugby, I'll just jump in and do a doctorate. You have to have done a number of other 
degrees and masters to to get there. It, there is there is quite a journey to get there. It, it's the if I'm honest, Dan, it's the culmination of thirty six years work thirty six years work as a coach. Right. You know, it's a, a, a lot of hard yards um, <laughs> to to actually get there. Um, and again, going back to self awareness, my biggest challenge for me as as a person was realizing. Uh, I'm actually going to try and do something now. When I did the postgrad diploma and the masters, and even the level four, where actually I'd never been to university, uh, I've got no, um, no O levels, no A levels. So I was going into a uh, an academic environment that was totally alien to me. Uh, but I've, oh, it's, an, it's an inspiration to us all, really. That uh, uh, it's important that we understand that. Uh, Doors don't close. There's a metaphor coming here somewhere. Uh, we just got to keep uh, making, putting ourselves in position to keep opening them. So it doesn't matter what's gone before, because you can always recover uh, yourself and put yourself into a position to do these things. So uh, you sort of uh, you've tempted us uh, by saying uh, they they loved the your idea. So what are you researching? Um, it's a, it's around uh, coaching philosophy. It's around um what's um what what's described as artifacts or you know historical things like a badge shirt things like that uh clubhouses and it's uh espoused beliefs and values and um basic assumptions in coaching rugby union so it's just basically looking at uh what we learn outside of sport and how do we use it in sport and are we aware of the amount of information and learning that we've probably got before we come into sport and can we hone it a lot more once we're in this environment to make um, positive learning environments for players and other people I include spectators and people like that anybody involved to ensure that rugby keeps thriving and growing forward and and I know when I looked at uh, coaching philosophy even at level four um, I probably didn't factor in the whole of my life journey and how it contributed to that philosophical approach. Now, one of the things I know you're keen to do is to reach out to uh, other coaches to find out a little bit more. What, what, are you, what are you trying to find out from others? Part of There's three parts to the PhD, Dan. Participant study one is a generalised questionnaire that will be circulated hopefully through uh, the England Rugby uh, Coaching Association. And I'm hoping that coaches in England will then share that with other coaches. Um, and it's just around um, why is being part of a club, rugby club so is it really important being part of a rugby club? Is wearing a, the, the shirt of that club, is that really important? Um, of the, the core values that we've got in Rugby Union, they're all important, but which is the most important to you and why? And um, if you've got a coaching philosophy, in 350 words, could you tell me what it is? So, well, I think that's a pretty good uh, that's a pretty good task for any coach to do, whether they are replying to your research or not. Can they write down what their coaching philosophy is? And I think probably that they many coaches wouldn't necessarily look at what they're finished article was and think well that's what it was when I first started writing this down so that's quite a good task in itself don't you think oh it is it is Danny I mean you know I mean if if we're both honest our coaching philosophy 
now is nothing like it was when it first, when we first started. No. Um, and I guess nor should it be, because you would argue that um, if we have reflected, that is going to change. If if we've reflected effectively, it's going to change, uh, because that's part of that growing process. Yeah, I'm. I'm starting to think now what I would try and put in those 350 words and what would be my opening sentence uh, to uh, make sure that I started putting my coaching philosophy into it, into its right context. So that's, uh, that's, that's a challenge in itself. So uh, you're, you're keen to get uh, other coaches opinions. And once you've collected the data um, and put together some, something around this, what do you sort of feel is going to be where you take it next? Well, the, da- the data from the initial questionnaire will then start to feed the questions for the semi-structured interviews for studies two and three. Right. Um, you know, study three is, for me, is probably the biggest study again because it's going to take a sample group of 20 coaches from across the broad spectrum of the game where... Uh, there'll be a semi-structured interview. They'll provide their philosophy. We'll film their coaching session, and then we'll ask. I will ask them to, you know, orate their session, but not technically and tactical, but around those key areas. Mm. Around, you know, when when did you sort of look at uh, when were values really important? How did you express that in your session? Um, you know, in this session, were there a, looking at it now? Could you give me any? times that you think you've just made a, an assumption i think it'd be fascinating so, to be involved with this uh full stop just from a from a coach's point of view learning learning more about your coaching from from that aspect and that's and the thing with the phd as it is done at this moment in time it's as you know these things are ever evolving changing so even in the two years i've been at it it's it's grown and i'm sure it'll take a few more directions before it's finished in three and a half years. Well, it's, that's quite, quite a task. Well, John, uh, it's been brilliant to catch up with you and to delve a bit into uh, the, the refereeing, but also around uh, coach obs- observation and coach education. And obviously, it seems to culminate in the, a lot into this PhD. So, I mean, a lot of people will probably be wishing you luck. But if they want to uh, be a bit more involved, I mean, obviously I'll put your details at the bottom, but what's the best way to contact you? Um, if you use my personal email address at this moment in time, Dan, um, that's the best way to contact me. Um, and anybody who contacts me, I will make sure that I, I reply to them. Right. And your email address is? Uh, John dot widowson at hotmail.co.uk yeah. and just uh, to spell out that is uh, w-i-d-d-o-w-s-o-n um, just yep. for the spelling right brilliant well thank you very much for your time John um, and um, again for some of those insights and um, we will all wish you uh, best of luck in your research uh, and uh, it'll probably be closer than three and a half years before we actually we speak again on the podcast um but we will be looking forward to the research when it when it comes out so thanks very much for that uh thank you everyone for listening in uh if you want to find out more about this podcast or all the other podcasts which are available go along to rugbycoachweekly.net and click on the podcast button and you will find out more about this podcast 
and all the others, plus some links and how to get in contact with John. So thanks again, John. No, thank you, Dan. Thanks for the opportunity and uh, best of luck with your coaching and refereeing everyone out there in the game. <laughs> yeah, and Dan, definitely remember uh, as a coach to uh, um, be nicer to referees is um, what, no, not in the sense of uh, trying to influence them, but just trying to understand a little bit more about them from what we said earlier on. So thank you very much for listening and we'll catch up with you all very soon. Thanks for listening to Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast. If you want to hear more podcasts, head over to rugbycoachweekly.net and click on the blogs tab to catch up on any episodes you've missed. We look forward to speaking to you again soon with more insights from coaches and experts from the world of rugby, sport, and learning.